If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you've been with us, you know that the, the past couple months, we've been in this series where we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We have three or four weeks after this week where we're going to spend uh, time continuing to finish out that book. And I don't know about you, but it's been kind of a journey to dive into the context of figuring out what these Christian, two, Christians 2,000 years ago, this young church, what it look like to actually follow Jesus in the midst of a society and a world that was very opposite of the Christian church that they were trying to build in that culture. And I think today uh, there is a passage that we're going to look at. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll get through the whole chapter uh, together today that is very applicable to many of the questions that we're asking in 2022. And it's amazing. I, I, I'm just blown away by this so often when I come to the pages of scripture. It was written thousands of years ago, and yet there is so much application, so much wisdom that is given to us about how we live our lives now thousands of years ago. And that's a beautiful thing about God's word. That's why we open it up every week here at H2O and come to it with the hope of saying, God, what are you teaching me? How can I grow and move closer towards you? The, the, the chapter that we're going to look at today is an interesting chapter because the early church was wrestling with what they could and could not do. And it's an interesting question because we might be wrestling with some of those questions as well. You know, it's funny, if you've been to any like high school sporting events uh, recently, some of us have kids that play sports or you go to support other families that you know, the student section of, of most of the, the schools, they have this chant and sometimes it's kind of overdone, but when somebody fouls somebody or does something illegal or something like that, do you guys know what the student section says? They say, you can't do that. You can't do that. And there's this chant that's kind of like mocking the other team when they foul or they do something wrong. And they say, you can't do that in their face. And I'm sure as an athlete, you know, it can be a little bit annoying hearing the other student section say that. But it's annoying because if we're really honest, we don't like to be told we can't do something, do we? You know, in our world, in our culture, in America in general, it's the land of the free, right? And so we do not like to be told you can't do that. And so that chant is kind of fitting. It kind of gets under your skin a little bit because it's like, you can't tell me I can't do something, even if you know that you shouldn't be doing it. In chapter 8, we're coming to this question of what can we do? What can't we do as followers of Christ? Now, they had a very specific question that they were trying to answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read about it, but I want to give you some context because it is a little bit of a different question that we might have nowadays. We probably are not asking the exact same question as them, even though there's a lot of application to what they were asking, okay? Here is the question that the young church in Corinth was writing to Paul and saying, give us an answer on whether we can do this or not. Uh, remember, Corinth, this town, was, was famous and, or infamous uh, for their pagan worship. And they, they had a temple to different pagan gods. And so much of the town was full of pagan worship. Well, uh, part of their pagan worship ceremonies would be to bring an animal in and sacrifice that animal to their different pagan gods. And as they would sacrifice that animal to the pagan gods, they would oftentimes partake in a ritual where they would eat some of the meat that was sacrificed to the pagan god as an act of almost worship or honor to that pagan god. 
Okay, so you would come to the pagan temple, you would bring your animal, sacrifice the animal, and as an act of worship to these pagan false gods, they would eat the meat that they sacrificed and they would offer some of that meat to the pagan god. Now, the interesting thing was there were parts of that animal that oftentimes were left over or they wouldn't eat all of the meat that was sacrificed to that pagan god. And so then there would be markets where the leftover meat that used to be sacrificed to the pagan gods would be sold to different people. You could go and buy that pagan meat. And, and history actually tells us that that meat oftentimes is maybe even a little bit cheaper than just regular meat because it was kind of like the leftovers. And so the question that the early church is asking is, is it okay? Are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to eat that leftover meat that some of it was sacrificed to these false gods that maybe even some of them used to worship and partake in, is it okay for us to eat that meat? Or should we abstain from it? What's right, Paul? What's wrong? We want to honor God, but we're not sure if we're allowed to. Can we do this or not? And again, I think it's an interesting thing. Even as you just hear that context, like, gosh, I don't know what the right answer is. I'm not sure whether I would eat meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god or not. And it brings us to our, our modern day world oftentimes, right? Because we live in a world that has many questions like that. We would call them gray areas oftentimes. It's like, I'm not even exactly sure whether I should be doing this or not. And we have questions about the, the, the shows that we watch, the things that we say, the clothes that we wear, the things that we eat and drink as well. We oftentimes have questions, should we or can we do that or not? And the text that we're going to look at today, hopefully will give us some insight into a, a, a kind of paradigm of how we should make those decisions and what it should look like to try to honor God with the way that we live our lives. So here's our big idea. Our big idea is this. Our freedom in Christ should always lead to blessing others and glorifying God. Our freedom in Christ should always lead to blessing others and glorifying God. That's kind of like the big picture that Paul is going to lay out for us here today. So spoiler alert, I may not give you an exact answer of whether you can or can't do everything that you may be wondering about in life, but the hope is we're going to get a paradigm, a framework for how we can make decisions that honor God in the world that we live in and pull people closer to him and bring us joy as we seek to honor him. So let's, let's open up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let's spend some time diving into God's word together. Let's pray that God gives us insight and wisdom. We're going to look at the first three verses to get started off, and we'll stop after that. These first three verses kind of give the, the framework that, that we need to understand. It says this, now about food sacrifice to idols. Remember the issue that they're asking Paul about, food sacrifice to idols. Can we eat it or not? Not can we worship idols, can we eat the food that was sacrificed to idols and that's left over. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think that they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. All right, what is Paul saying here? Here's the first point. It's this, that true knowledge leads to love, not pride. 
True knowledge leads to love, not pride. What Paul is trying to lay, lay out at the very beginning of this chapter, where he's going to give us an actual answer to this specific question, what he's trying to say is, hey, before I even give you an answer, I need you to know that if this thing, this question, this issue that you're trying to discover and trying to work through, if it's leading to people being pride, prideful and thinking that they know the answer or bashing on other people or, or, or being arrogant about the answer that they may have, they actually don't know as much as they think they do. They're actually not as wise as they may think that they are. He says, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And, and that is something that many of us probably need to hear if we're really honest. Again, let's apply it to our lives right now. It's, it's great to have truth. It's great to have knowledge. But I'm going to say something that may, it, some of us will totally agree with, but others of us may go, wait, is that really true? Here's the reality. You can't always solve every argument with logic. Wait, you believe in truth, right? Yes, absolutely. 100% believe in absolute truth here. We believe that scripture is, a, but you can't always solve every argument and every problem 100% with logic. That's not the way that the world works. That's not the way our hearts work. That's not the way our minds work. Think of a little child, right? Those of us who've had kids, we understand this. And, and there's times where kids, they're afraid of certain things or they're afraid of the dark. I know some of my kids struggled with that before. And as a parent, you can go to them and say, now listen, you shouldn't be afraid of the dark. Like nothing changes. This room's the exact same. As you turn the light on, turn the light off, see, don't be afraid of it. It's very logical. Come on, figure it out, kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how we treat our kids, right? Or if you do, it's probably not going to get you. You need to bring them around, uh, put your arm around them, and you say, hey, listen, I understand. The dark can be scary, but I want you to know that God's just as much with you when it's dark as when it's light. And we kind of work them through the process of understanding, not just with their, with their brains, but with their hearts, that you know what? God is still in control. And what Paul is saying here is knowledge can be a weapon or a tool that we can either use to beat people down or that we can use to build people up. And the question is, how will you use it? If you use it as a tool to beat people down, it's not true knowledge. Just puffing yourself up. It turns into pride, but if you use it in love, then it can become a tool to build people up and draw them closer and closer to Jesus. You know that old saying, it really is true, that, that people don't actually care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And it is so true when it comes to the way that we relate with one another and the way that we talk to one another. I was thinking about this story. It's kind of a gross story, but I thought I'd share it anyway. When I was in college, me and three of my friends, we were walking down Worcester Street, and um, we were just enjoying one another. The three of us were involved in H2O. We are trying to follow the Lord. We're walking down Worcester Street, and right across from the street, there's this big house party, 20 or 30 guys standing out there, you know, doing beer pong, enjoying their Saturday afternoon, having this big party. And so we didn't think anything of it. And as we're walking, my friend looks down, and he sees a $5 bill laying on the ground. And he gets really excited. If you've ever had a $5 bill laying on the ground, like, yes. He walks down, he picks up the $5 bill, and here's the gross part. They had wiped dog poop on the backside of the $5 bill. Yeah, disgusting, right? And, uh, and, and 
I, I got to be honest, like I'm usually pretty level-headed, but I was like hot, you know, I was mad. I was so angry. And I looked over there and they made some comments like, ha oh, ha, stinky hands, you know, or whatever. And uh, probably some other words in there. And I'm just glaring over there and I'm getting angrier and angrier. And uh, I'm thinking, we can't go fight them because there's 25 of them and three of us. I think that might have been an appropriate time to do that, but it wouldn't have worked out well at all. We can't go fight them. And then I had this thought. I'm like, we should go blast them with the gospel. <laughs> like literally, that's the only thing that I could do or come up with. But I wanted to go over there and point their sin out so bad. I wanted to shame them. I wanted to say, if you guys don't repent from this stupid, disgusting sin, you are going to burn. You know, I wanted like that was the only retaliation that I could think of in that moment to get back at these guys. And luckily, cooler heads prevailed. Decided to keep walking as much as it killed me. But I remember, you know, not too much longer. And even as I was preparing this message, just thinking, you know, there's times in our life where we're tempted to use the beauty of the gospel, the love of God as a weapon towards our enemies. There's times in our life where we're tempted to take out our anger and our frustration with truth on people and a way to try to get back at them. And listen, there may be a time for conviction to share with people. There may be a time to share hard truths with people. I'm not against that. But we have to check our hearts and check our motivation. We have to check, God, are you allowing me to share this hard truth in a way that I'm actually doing it in love because I care about these people? Or is this retribution is this something I'm trying to do to hurt somebody? It's important for us to remember that if we know something and we're confident about it and we believe that it's right, but we're not doing it in love, then it's not actually true wisdom or true knowledge, as Paul says here. Warren Worsby, he's an author and a scholar. He says this, truth without love is brutality. And yet love without truth is hypocrisy. See, the scripture says that we need to speak the truth in love. And that is a complex thing to do in our world that's more and more and more polarized, isn't it? Talked about this a lot. But there are many forces in our world that are trying to polarize us around what we believe, trying to separate us around what we think is true and what we don't think is true, trying to separate us around the different things that we believe about God, trying to separate us around the different things that we believe about politics, trying to separate us around anything they possibly can. And some of us fall into that trap a lot easier than others. And so can we take the scripture at its word when it says, listen, don't let your knowledge puff you up because it's not true knowledge then. Knowledge has to be shared in love. And when it is, then it's beautiful. But when it's not, it becomes all about us. And it can lead to a point of pride. You know, it's one thing to know doctrine. It's one thing to know truth. And it's quite different to know God. Just because you know the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that you know God. And the litmus test to asking that question is, am I growing in love? Am I a person who's growing in love towards God and am I a person who's growing in love towards others? All right, so that is the framework that Paul gives us as we're about to answer the question, 
Can we do this or not? Can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Let's jump in. Verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. He kind of loops back around. Okay, let's not forget what we're talking about here. About eating food sacrificed to idols. We all know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there is no God but one. For even if the so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols That when they eat sacrificed food, that they think of it as being sacrificed to a God. Since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. And we are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. Paul gives them an answer right there. Here's the second thing. Following Jesus allows us to be free from legalism and superstition. Following Jesus allows us to be free from legalism and superstition. Paul's giving us some context to the conversation here. What he says is, listen, some of you can go eat that meat and it doesn't mean anything because you know that those pagan gods aren't real, right? There are spiritual powers that exist in this world, but he's saying those pagan gods, they mean nothing compared to the one God of the universe. He's the ultimate one who is full of power. He's the one that we should worship. And so you know that you're not tempted to worship pagan gods, so you can go and eat that meat. He says, now there's some other people who maybe still struggle with that. Maybe they came out of this false religion. Maybe they came out of this paganism. And when they eat that meat, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I'm kind of still interested in worshiping this God. Or this meat reminds me of this ceremony that I used to go to. Or maybe I'm tempted to try to get something or some power from these pagan gods. And he says, now their their faith is a little bit weaker They're still growing. They're still maturing. But he says, he concludes with, food does not bring us near to God. So we are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. So Paul says, listen, everything is permissible. Now, in a couple chapters before, he says, now not everything is beneficial. And we're going to get to that part here in just a minute. But he's letting them know, listen, if you are in Christ, Christianity is a religion of freedom. It's a beautiful thing about worshiping Jesus. The, 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 the superstitions that many of the religions fall into and that many of the pagan religions during that time fall into, fall into. I have to say these certain things. I have to sacrifice this way. I have to go to the temple at this certain time and then I'll be right with these gods. Paul's saying, listen, you can leave all that behind. And he's even talking, and he does in other places, talks to the Jewish folks who had a very religious, legalistic background. Like, it's not okay for me just to to read the Bible and do what it says. I have to add to the Bible. And the more restrictions I add to Scripture, the more things I put in place on my plate, then the more God will love me. That's called legalism. When we heap more and more requirements onto ourselves that God didn't even put on us to try to make us feel better about ourselves or try to make us feel more holy. Paul says, listen, that's not what following Jesus is about. It's not about superstition. It's not about legalism. In Christ, you are free. In Galatians, Paul talks a lot about this specific area as he's talking to people who are struggling with legalism. And in Galatians, he says, listen, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. 
It is so that you can be free. So don't let the yoke of slavery be carried on any longer. And that is good news for all of us. If anybody tries to tell you that following Jesus is just about a bunch of rules and about the exact way that you say something or what meeting you show up to, they don't completely understand the gospel. And here's what Paul is saying. Listen, you have been set free from that. So you're not bound to these legalistic rules. These, these pagan gods have no power over you. So if you eat meat that was sacrificed to them, and you can do it in a way that honors God, and it doesn't bother your conscience, then listen, no one is better if they eat it, or no one is worse if they do. You're free to do what you want. Again, there's beauty in the freedom of the gospel. But let's see how Paul closes. Because it says, like everything in life, it's a little bit more nuanced than, yeah, than, than just, yeah, do whatever you want. Because in that freedom, we also have a responsibility. And I think the church needs to hear this today. In our freedom, we also have a responsibility. Verse 9. Be careful, however. So he says, you're free to do whatever you want. But there's a but. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, eating in the idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So if you're eating something and you're fine with it, but a weaker brother or sister sees you eating it, it, would that affect the way that they view you or the way that they view God? In verse 11, so this weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way, and you wound their weak conscience, you also sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I don't cause them to fall. We, here's the third point. We must use our freedom to bless others, not serve ourselves. We must use our freedom to bless others, not serve ourselves. See, Paul says, of course there's freedom in Christ, but there's also a a, a boundary or a limit to our Christian freedom. And the, the freedom that we have isn't permission to do whatever we want. The freedom that we have is permission to do what God wants for us to do, which is to build one another up, encourage one another, point one another towards Christ. Our freedom isn't just for our own sake. It's for the sake of the body of Christ. And this is what Paul points us to, and he points us towards Jesus as well. He says, listen, it's okay to sacrifice your freedoms at time. Again, just because certain things are permissible doesn't mean they're beneficial. It's an interesting way to think about life, isn't it? Because again, if we go back to that intro story, you can't do that, bothers us a little bit. <laughs> we don't like being told we can't do something. Paul says, you can Do whatever you want as long as it's not sin. But you probably should really reflect on, is it glorifying God to the people around you? You know, and you think about our world and you think about all the different decisions that we have to make. Again, we're probably not struggling with whether we should eat meat sacrificed to idols. At least I'm not. If you are, you're still welcome here, right? But we have other things that we're constantly wondering about. 
You know, how, how, how vocal should I be about my political stances is a question that many of us are asking, right? I mean, I mean, how, how, how out front should I be? Because, of course, we know it's important for us to be, like, civically involved. In, in, in our politics, of course, they matter because they dictate our world. So it's good to have informed uh, thoughts and opinions and, and, and truth about these issues. And yet, at the same time, if we're spouting out those truths that we believe, that knowledge that we have in a way that's not loving, in a way that's turning people off to Jesus— is it really knowledge? Are we putting our politics above our faith? It's an interesting question that we have to wrestle with. You think about the question of alcohol that many of us, you know, you're kind of thinking through. It's, it's really, really hard. And I'll just be honest with you. It's really, really hard to make a biblical argument that, that alcohol is prohibited for Christians. When Jesus turned water into wine, right? We, we, we see that there, there is alcohol in Scripture. But the question then we have to ask is, well, what does it look like to be somebody who's honoring God? What if we have a friend who's really struggled with that in the past? We probably shouldn't be offering them a beer. What if we're hanging out with somebody under the age of 21? Are we putting them in a hard position if we partake in what we are, are allowed to do? But we might be causing somebody else to stumble? What about the clothes that we wear? Are we thinking about how they affect the people around us? What about the language that we use? The list can go on and on. And I don't say that list for any of us to feel like we have to walk around life and just constantly be afraid that we're going to make somebody else stumble. That's not what Paul is saying here. It's not about fear, right? It's not at all what he's saying here, but he's just driving home this point that the freedom that we have in the gospel is a beautiful thing. It's a gift that we have been given. And like any amazing gift, we have to steward it well. We have to try to think about how can I use this gift, not just to build myself up, but to build the body of Christ up. Because when we ultimately think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did. Right? Jesus was the ultimate example of laying down his rights, laying down what he could and maybe even should have done for the sake of all of us. Think about Jesus in heaven. I mean, he had the right to stay in heaven with the Father and with the Spirit. And yet he laid down that right to come down to earth to sacrifice for you and for me so that we could be drawn closer to God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, Paul's driving home this point again. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, as followers of Christ, we're called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And he gave us the perfect example of what it looks like to submit his rights for the sake and the glory of God so that we could be drawn closer to him. And so, as I said, I, I, I'm not 
telling everybody what you can and can't do here, where Scripture gives us a framework, is the way that we're living our lives, the things that we say, the things that we partake in, is it seeking to glorify Jesus. You know, when he went to the cross for you and I, that was something that he didn't deserve. He had every right to take himself down off the cross. He had every right to bring judgment in that moment to the people who were putting him on the cross. He had the power to do it. And yet he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me who needed him to sacrifice so that we could be made right with God. That's the beauty of the gospel. And our hope and our prayer is that every single one of us would experience that, would know that, would trust that. And as we do, that it would turn us into people of love and sacrifice that would turn us into people who care for and have compassion towards the world around us.